Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Usually we discuss the big issues that surround grassroots rugby in the UK, but today is slightly different. This week I had the opportunity to chat to former WWE champion John Bradshaw Layfield on his love of rugby, his wrestling career, but most importantly, the amazing work being done by two projects that he is involved with, Beyond Rugby in Bermuda and Memphis Inner City Rugby. But before we get to the chat, I'm pleased to announce that Rugby Store have come on board to partner with the Rugby Roundtable and they are offering a 10% discount on anything on their website for listeners to our show, including, as I say, must say so myself, the very nice England rugby shirts and training wear from Umbro. And all you have to do to claim the discount is visit rugbystore.co.uk and at the checkout enter the promo code FYBPOD. That's FYBPOD. And we thank them for supporting us. Now let's get on with my great chat with John Bradshaw Layfield. Hi everyone, uh, this is a very special uh, edition of the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable. Uh, my guest today, normally we have two or three guests and we talk about an issue in grassroots rugby in the UK, uh, for those who have not watched or listened. Uh, but this uh, truly is an honour uh, and certainly something I was never going to pass up. Uh, we have today the former WWE champion, former three-time tag team champion, and if it wasn't for this bloody pandemic, he would have been in the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2020. <laughs> uh, but he's very much involved in rugby in America. Uh, we're going to chat a lot about that. But it's uh, a pleasure t- to welcome Mr. John Bradshaw Layfield. How are you, sir? Well, thank you. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you. I'm a, I'm a former everything. I'm like a typical old athlete. I got called the other day. God, they wanted me to be in some movie. It was actually a pretty cool role. They have no idea if I have a chance to getting it, but it was basically an old athlete that still dresses like they were in the 80s. And he's, <laughs> I was a high school coach. I said, that's not exactly a stretch. That's not Al Pacino type acting. That's just me being me. <laughs> but, sir, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. The, the wrestling fan in me, and if anyone knows me, knows how big of a wrestling fan I am uh, knows how much of a fan of you I am as well so um, thank you so much for agreeing to do this it was all very last minute but we want to chat rugby so let's uh, chat rugby um, what was your first sort of rugby experiences did, did you grow up with it did you how, how did you find it how did you fall in love with our with our great game no, we didn't have uh, rugby in Texas when I was growing up. Now they have uh, rugby hotspots. You know, Austin is a good hotspot. Uh, I know uh, uh, Todd, uh, uh, Captain, Captain America has got a big, uh, big stake in, in the, the Austin MLR team. They got a great franchise down in Houston. They got a lot of college rugby on. I understand. I think they're getting a franchise up in Dallas. I mean, it's a lot of rugby now. But when I was in high school back in um, early '80s and college in the late '80s. Uh, there wasn't much rugby. Uh, my college roommate had played, I think, on the under-20 national team of South Africa. I think. He played at a fairly high level before he came to college. And one of my college roommates, we had a suite where a bunch of guys were in uh, basically communal place. 
And that's my first introduction to rugby. I thought it was really cool. And then when I moved to Bermuda uh, for about eight or nine years, I really got indoctrinated kind of into rugby. I just, I just always really enjoyed the sport. I started watching it a lot when I was in Europe. I'm sorry, when I was in Bermuda. And then when I started up a program to work with at-risk kids, rugby is the perfect sport. You know, it's just like soccer, you know, the beautiful game. You only need a ball. You can play five on five. You can play 10 on 10, 15 on 15. You don't need a lot of equipment. It was perfect to work with uh, at-risk, low-income kids. So what you said uh, it's the perfect game. What parts of those that the game did you fall in love with? Was it the physicality? Was it the the um, the community spirit that, that rugby has? I think all of it. The, 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 every rugby player I've met has been fun. Uh, I went down to when I was uh, in uh, WWE. We're down in uh, Good Grief, Auckland, and Wellington. Uh, met a lot of the players down there that played. We're down in, all over Australia met uh, one of the national teams when I was there, uh, just had a fun time with these guys. They're just fun people. Uh, rugby guys are fun guys to be around. They love life. They, they live large. They enjoy just sitting around and good banter. And so I kind of fell in love with the, the, the game around the game. And the more I watched it, the more I enjoyed the game. I think the game's, to me, is, to me it's a game. I'm surprised it hadn't taken off more in America. I think it will now. But it, to me, it's a, a real American game. You know, just a lot of guys, a lot of tough guys and girls now yeah. uh, going out there and, and beating the heck out of each other. Do you wish you had played when you were a bit younger? Because I, oh you I know you played American football at a really good level. But I would love to have played. I, I remember there's uh, Dean Denton, I think it was, the number eight from Scotland. I thought, man, that's what I'd like to be when I grow up. Uh, that, <laughs> you know, I'd love to, I don't know if I could have played it or not. I don't know if I was good enough, but would love to have been a number eight somewhere. Yeah, oh, that was actually going to be my next question. What if you, if you had played what what position? So number eight. I would hope number eight. To me, that that's the spot. I, think, know, I, I, love, I love the the big guys in the middle that uh, kind of control things. It seems like a lot of fun. I think I think that would be perfect for you. Or you can come and join me in the second row. We can be the, <laughs> we can be the engine room. That, that clothesline arm, proper good grip. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned there about uh, Bermuda uh, and the uh, Beyond Rugby um, charity that you set up. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And as well as uh, I can see you're wearing a Memphis inner city rugby shirt. Um, tell us more about those projects and, and what, uh, the work that's going into them. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to. I was down in uh, Cape Town 2010 for the Soccer Football World Cup. And I remember the Vuvuzelas were terrible back then, the worst <laughs> things ever invented. So I was in the bar trying to get the Vuvuzelas out of my ear and ha having a bunch of beers. And I, I basically all I remember was talking to a guy with cauliflowered ears. So I knew it was either an <laughs> MMA guy or a rugby guy. I wasn't sure which one. And the next morning my phone rang and I thought, oh my goodness, I must have promised that guy I would do something with him. And it was Nick Keller, the founder of Beyond Sports out of London. And, he, and I said, what did I promise you I would do? He said, you promised me we would go to the shantytown. I said, can't we just go to the wharf and get robbed? It'd be so much easier. It wouldn't take up our whole day. And he said, no, we're going to visit a sports program, the Mighty Milers that uses sport to help kids get out of poverty areas and get them educated and kind of gets a carrot to get them in so they can get them job skills. And I said, man, that sounds awesome. So we went out and visited this shantytown, and I saw how sport can transform lives. And I thought this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And so I was just moved to Bermuda, and I'd seen all the problems with the gangs there, the murders, the, the knifings, the, the different problems they had, the dropout rate in schools. So I called Nick, and I said, I'd love to start up a sports program like I saw in Cape Town. 
and do something for these inner city, this not inner city, same low income type kids. Yeah. And he said, the perfect sport is rugby. And I said, well, I, I love rugby. I think it's a wonderful sport. I'd love to do something like that. So that's how the whole idea kind of got started. And we took uh, Bermuda from, we're not sure what the dropout rate was because like a lot of governments, they fudge the numbers, but it was significantly high in the low income areas. Our kids we worked with, we had a hundred percent graduation rate out of these kids. The kids wow, were not in gangs, the kids were not getting incarcerated. Uh, the first day we had rugby, one of the kids that was going to be in our, our program got murdered uh, coming, uh, just coming to the program. You know, we had a lot of trouble. We had a lot of issues, but the rugby was the one thing that kind of transformed uh, these kids that were that were kind of neglected and kind of left out. Now rugby's in all the public schools in Bermuda. It's part of the curriculum. Uh, and then through that, I found a group out of Memphis Center City Rugby, uh, Shane Young, who just does an incredible job there working with inner city kids. That's amazing. That's absolutely brilliant. So what what's your involvement in that? Are you just guiding them through or do you are you a bit more hands-on do you do you pass i wish i was a i wish i was a coach i don't know enough about it and i and i don't live in memphis so i'm not qualified to do either but (laughs) i'd love to just be working with those kids every single day but living in dc obviously i can't and i'm not sure i'm even qualified to do what shane young does not what he does but even what the coaches do They, they they do a wonderful job with those kids I would love to be there working daily with them. I'm on the board there with, for Shane. I help with fundraisers. And so I always say we, but it's really they. You know, it's really <laughs> Shane and his group that are doing this incredible work. Let me give you a little stat here from, yeah, from Memphis. Please. It's one of the worst child uh, poverty areas in the United States. There's a 60% dropout rate among kids that are in that low-income area. In Memphis inner city rugby, those same kids are not only graduating at 100%, but 100% of those kids are going somewhere after uh, high school, either college, military, or trade school. I mean, they're, they're completely changing the inner city there. It's just a wonderful program. I'm so proud to be associated with it. That's amazing. That really is amazing. And, and you know, I hope the work continues. And I'm sure it will, even in these sort of troubled times in, in America, I'm sure you know, rugby can be the thing that brings people together and, um, Yeah, and right now there's not much rugby going on, you know, because of social distancing, because of COVID. So Shane Young has has transformed this program. In fact, we got a board meeting this week. I can't wait to hear all the updates. They're doing incredible work down there now with remote learning. So when you have schools that are no longer in session because of the pandemic, these kids who are in the the inner city, who are in the low-income areas, they're not able to go to school uh, because of the pandemic, but they're not able to go to school remotely either. They don't have computers. They don't have Wi-Fi. So Shane arranged for uh, to set up a learning center, Teach for America, donated a room. Mike Novogratz, the hedge fund billionaire, incredibly philanthropic guy, started a great program, Beat the Streets, out of New York and Philadelphia and several different programs, donated money for the computers. Uh, and Shane now has got these young kids who come in there. They also give them a little food because a lot of these kids, the only meal they got during the day was at school. And so you're helping these kids not lose an entire generation because the problem right now, at least in America with school shutdown, those kids who don't have that remote learning because of where they are and where they live, you can lose an entire generation. So they've transformed at least temporarily from a rugby program, still doing a little rugby stuff just kind of here and there, but most yeah. of it is remote learning to make sure these kids aren't lost and fall through the cracks because of this pandemic. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that quite could quite easily 
happen at the moment if we've got nothing to to sort of guide them through life as we know it at the moment then uh yeah that's when things tend to sort of become awry um so what uh, let's go back to rugby a little bit um what are your thoughts on the state of the game in America? As you said, it's, it's now in public schools in places like Bermuda. Is it, is it growing at, at school and university level? It's hard to say. You know, people always talk about it's the fastest growing sport in America. I'm not sure if it is or not. People have debated whether these numbers are legit or not. I have no idea. It seems to be growing, yes. The pro league certainly helps. You know, we, we're a league that couldn't dream of competing, at least not now, maybe 10 years now with the, the premiership and, and the big top 14, the, the great programs over there where you guys are. But it certainly helps having a pro league. Uh, I worked a lot with the uh, D.C. group here, wonderful group. Uh, Paul Sheehy is uh, one of the owners. Uh, John Manson, who came out of uh, the Glasgow group, Warriors group, uh, is, is doing some great things. Met with Coach Andrew the other day. They're really doing a lot of great things, not only about building a great pro team, but they want to build academies all the way down to primary schools. And they want to do it for the right reasons. They want to help kids not just learn the sport, but also graduate. I think they're doing the proper things to grow the game. So, yeah, I think the game is growing. I think our national team, which has done really well, uh, you know, it's all relative. You know, it's hard for us to ever compete with a, a top eight team. You know, we, we got to – we beat Scotland last, I think last year it was, you know, they had a few players missing, but that's okay. You play Doesn't with the players. It was, a, it was a huge win for us, probably the biggest win since the 1924 Olympics when we won the gold medal back, back, back in the day. But our sevens group is awesome. I mean, Perry Baker and Danny Barrett, those guys, yeah, Carl and Hiles, they're fantastic athletes and they do really well. I think for America to, to really grow the sport, you need two things. You need a good pro league, which I think they're developing. It really is a shame it got sh cut short because of yeah. COVID this past year. And you need good international success, which the sevens team is having. And the 15s team, I think, is, is headed the right direction. They're a fun team to watch. They put up 40 points. Sometimes they give up 50. But <laughs> <laughs> they're a fun team to watch. They hit people hard. They throw the ball around. I, mean, they're, they're, I, I, I love our 15s team. Yeah, Paul Ezeke in that game against uh, Scotland where he went in from 50 meters. Oh, what a what a man! What a what a what a wrecking ball! Um, and a great singer as well. Check out his in, check out his Twitter feed. He's I was in Bermuda. Well. We have a weekly golf game, and <laughs> all the guys were giving me hell about the fact that USA was going to lose so bad to Scotland that night. And I I assumed we probably would. I, I'm behind our guys 100, percent but I'm realistic. I didn't think we really had a chance. And so many of the guys that play in that weekly golf game we have from Scotland, they were just for hours riding me about the game, the game, the game. The next week, of course, USA wins. I can't wait to get back. And Blaine Scully calls me, the captain of the USA team, and says, hey, I'm in Bermuda. I know what you're doing with at-risk kids. Would love to see something. I said, well, we don't have a program going right now, but I'll take you golfing. And he goes, I'd love to. So he goes, next week I'll walk into the golf match with the captain of the USA rugby team and, gets all, and all the Scots. They're going, you got to be kidding me. You flew this guy in just for this. Blaine's a wonderful guy. We had a, we had a great afternoon together. All the guys loved him, but it was really funny that he was, he was there the week after uh, the USA got to, got to beat Scotland. I think he's just, he's just left Cardiff, I believe, isn't he? Uh, I, believe I think he has, yeah. 
But um, he's such a good I, athlete. You know, he was an All-American in yeah. a couple different sports. Out, I think Stanford was his school, and he played golf, hadn't played years, and uh, he ended up playing very well at the end because we were competing for some money, not very much. And, <laughs> he's a very competitive guy. He helped us win the tournament that day. Um, it was rumored that you were part of the, the New York franchise group. Is that is that the case, or is that not the case I was, anymore? I was looking to be. It didn't work out. And I'm kind of glad it didn't. Uh, just, I, I don't live in New York, yeah. and so it wouldn't have been easy for me. Uh, I would love to be part of an ownership uh, committee somewhere. I uh, don't know if that'll ever work out or not, but I'm very excited about the group here in D.C. I'm not even in talks to be in the ownership, but I'm in talks to help with some of the academies yeah. with the uh, primaries and the, the secondary schools. That, that's awesome. Um, Eddie Jones has just signed on to be the one of the coaches at San Diego. Which is which is huge I'll, as a as a bit of a consultant. I'm surprised at that. I'm very fearful for our DC guys. But yeah, that's huge. I think that's wonderful. And I think you're going to start seeing some of that. You know, people coming to America for different opportunities. You know, they've already had their opportunities in different yeah. places. They come here. It's a new place for opportunities. You know, Pele ended up his career here, and uh, yeah. you know, if Messi would have ended up going to Man City, he probably would have ended up his career in New York with the New York uh, Football Club up there. Uh, and Chris Robshaw, the, the form, you know, only just only sort of stopped being England captain in the last few years, and he's coming to San Diego as well. So that's, that's a, that helps tremendously. Uh, and DC had Tendai here this past year, the beast out of South yeah. Africa, wonderful person. He did a lot of work uh, in the inner cities. Was just as affable as he could be. I had lunch with him a couple times. Wonderful human being, but he also did a lot of work in growing the game, uh, which yeah. I think is very important for these superstars and, and international celebrities when they go to places like America that is growing the game to be part of that growing. Definitely. It's, it's the same effect that David Beckham had on, on major league soccer. That's, yes. that's what they should be shooting for the sky for, you know, you had a world cup winner in the beast and Mar Nonu last year and I know, and, and um, Bastero at New York. And obviously they, they all got cut short because of this bloody pandemic and, and, now, you know, hopefully next year with, uh, with a few more guys like Rob Shaw and, uh, and hopefully um, Marnoni sticks around. Um, you know, more stars will, will, will pop over for, for a couple of years and, and, and build the game. Because I think if we've got a strong game in, New, in America, then the world game is going to be better for it. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, America is such a, a big place as far as economically. So much... Uh, you know, GDP comes out of America and be good to have America in that world stage, which we're not now, you know, we're, we're a, what, 14 or 15, I think is our, our 15 team. Of course, our sevens. Aha, uh -huh. there you are. <laughs> Sorry, we lost it. I lost you there for a second. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, my internet down here in my basement sometimes is not good. Maybe no, that's, that's fine. You've got some great stuff in your basement, by the way. That's <laughs> from uh, from China and from South Africa. Lovely. Um, okay, well, it'd be silly not of, to me of me being a, a lifelong wrestling fan not to ask you a couple of uh, wrestling questions. Um, who who in the WWE locker room is a rugby fan? Well, of course, all the European guys. 
you know, Finley from Ireland. Uh, Seamus is a huge, huge rugby fan. Wade Barrett uh, is a bit more of a football fan, but also likes uh, his, his bit of rugby. You know, Earl Crabtree, uh, Huddersfield, yeah. the rugby league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his uh, uncle, Big Daddy. Big Daddy, uh, yeah. Earl. I was hoping that uh, he would come into wrestling, you know, when he was still young enough. But he had such a good deal at Huddersfield, had been there for so long that he didn't really have a desire. But what a, what a wonderful guy. He would have been great in our business, by the way. He would, uh, he, uh, he would have been. So there's, yeah, a lot of guys, and there's a lot of guys that do like it. Most of them are, most of them are Europeans. Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and I know that um, a few years ago, Cesaro's first gimmick was, was meant to be the Swiss rugby player. Is, is, that's is, right. Is, is the story of Vince watching a, a rugby match and going, oh, I want to be that. I think we need someone like him. Um, is that true? Is, 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 has Vince watched a rugby match? <laughs> I don't know. I've talked to Vince about rugby. Uh, I talked to him about the MLR. Um, but I don't know where he got the idea for Cesaro. I mean, I think he just wanted like a good old hard character. And, you know, what more hard character than a top 14 rugby player? Absolutely. You know, I, think, Absolutely. I think it just kind of fit in fit in perfectly for Cesaro. And I don't know where Vince got the, the idea for it. <laughs> um, would any rugby players that you've seen, I know you mentioned Owen Farrell uh, in a tweet the other day, which got picked up by a few people uh, about his uh, clothesline tackle. Um, he would make it great in the WWE. Uh, is there anyone else that you've seen other, you know, other than sort of uh, Earl and uh, people like that that would make a great, great wrestler? Yeah, yeah. I think Maro Itoshi would be a great wrestler. Maro's <laughs> come over to Bermuda a couple times there at Saracens. I remember watching him when he was, good grief, he must have been 19 at the time. I don't know how old he is now. And he, they were doing line shoulder <laughs> at, at Saracens. And, and I remember calling over my mate, Gareth Noakes, who helped me run the charity and then ran the charity for a while there in Bermuda. Runs now a charity CEO of Bubasi Pride Foundation, a wonderful group out of uh, uh, East Africa that's running programs in Malawi and Kenya, a lot of places. Uh, I called Gareth over and I said, look at this young kid. He's getting everything within eight feet of him. <laughs> it was just, it was what you just, you're watching a prodigy. And sure enough, he became the man. I think uh, Marl, who's a very intelligent guy, would be great at it. Definitely, uh, I agree. He's a big guy, but he's a uh, you know, great personality as well. Big shoulders. I think he'd fit right in. Which 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 WWE superstars would would make it best best in rugby? Oh, Brock Lesnar! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'd love Brock Lesnar to be on a rugby pitch somewhere. Good grief, he'd, he'd kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be great. <laughs> what position? If you were number eight, what position would you like him to be on your team? I hope he's not the other number eight. <laughs> I've been in the ring with Brock. That didn't work out too well for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's, let's, let's have a little chat about uh, wrestling. You know, um, I'm sure you get asked all these questions all the time, but what is, what is your highlight of your, or your wrestling career? And i got to mention one other thing, by the way. Corbusero is a good friend of mine. Yeah, and, Alex. Uh, yeah. If I didn't mention Corbusero in rugby, he would call me. So <laughs> i got to say, say Alex would be great whether he would be or not. I, <laughs> I think Alex would be great. I, uh, but I, I got to be sure and say that before I uh, mentioned <laughs> Captain America, Todd, but uh, Corbis Sarah would call me on that one. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, the career I had was, I, I'm very happy with it. I wish it could have gone longer. I had a lot of injuries. In fact, I broke my back in uh, London in Earl's Court in a match, right. a threat match uh, in Earl's Court. That's what caused me to retire. And I wish that hadn't happened, but I had to retire at some point anyway. I think winning, not winning the championship, I think that was uh, – Obviously, the highlight probably of people look at my career, but how long I held it, 
and how long, how long, how many times I had to defend it and against so many different people. Uh, when I was done with that championship run and John Cena got the title from me at WrestleMania and he's, <laughs> you talk about doing, doing well. Uh, he's done all right. He's done okay. <laughs> we knew he was going to do well. I don't think anybody dreamed he'd do it like he's done. He's a wonderful person. Uh, he'd be a great rugby player. Strong as he could be, fast, tough. He'd be a great rugby player. But after that, I was just done. I, my body wore out. I'd been doing it a long time. I'd played American football, and I, it was time to retire. I wrestled a little bit, a little bit longer, but that, I think, was the highlight of my career. It was just not uh, just winning the title, but how long I had it and going out every night and defending it. You had a, an incredible series with Eddie Guerrero. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to ask you what was uh, the night where you uh, you both lost a lot of blood. Uh, what what was the sort of the um, aftermath in, in the back area? You know when you both came back and uh, when you, you you'd lost that much blood. I think it was a bull rope match. Wasn't it? No, it was right. It was actually right before the bull rope match. I lost okay. some blood in the bull rope match too. Eddie did, <laughs> but the match before was I think it was called Judgment Day. It was in the Staples Center. In fact, we set a, an attendance record at the Staples Center that night. And Roy Jones Jr., the boxer, I think broke it years later. But I didn't know how much blood there was. I, I, I didn't. When I watched it back, I was shocked at how much blood loss there there was, especially from Eddie. I, at the time, you know, you think you you would recognize it, but I didn't. I mean, I knew there was a lot of blood, but I didn't, I mean, there were pulls of blood on the mat from Eddie. And we got back to the back and I was pretty much okay. Eddie passed out in the back. Eddie had to be taken to the hospital. And they told me that Eddie's getting in a fight with a doctor. Would you come talk to him? And I said, you know, his nephew Chavo's there. I, I don't know anything I can do. And literally I went in there and they had him on a gurney and he was about to fight him. He, he was, you know, he's a little bit out, out of it. And, I said, Eddie, they need to take you to the hospital. And Eddie just relaxed. He goes, okay. And <laughs> that was it. You know, he had, he had seen his opponent that he had shed so much blood with, and I told him what they needed, and he just calmed down and relaxed. It was uh, – Eddie's a tough, tough guy. Uh, we had no idea that much blood was going to happen. I had no idea at the time that that much blood had been spilled until I saw it back. Um, you know, the whole match just kind of got thrown out, and it ends up becoming kind of an instant classic, which was – Fortunate for me and fortunate for Eddie, you know, and, and more fortunate that somebody didn't get hurt uh, worse than what happened. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, another, another friend of mine who will remain nameless uh, asked me to ask you whether you thought that uh, it was a really good idea that Triple H didn't work Tuesdays. I thought it was because I got to be champion a long time. <laughs> uh, if anyone doesn't know, there's a brilliant uh, interview that um, I think Paul Heyman did, didn't he? Uh, 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 ECW's reunion show in, in 2005, and, and he mentioned that how uh, John wouldn't have been champion if it wasn't for the fact that Triple H didn't want to work Tuesday nights. I'm glad he didn't. You know, it was great. Paul, Paul Heyman and I are good friends, and you know, it's yeah. funny back, you know. A lot of times when you have stuff like that, you, you don't tell the, the other guy you're going to say something like that because you want the reaction. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's just good banter. And I was sitting there making fun of Paul Heyman for bouncing checks and all this stuff. <laughs> and, and he caught me with a pretty good line, which people – it stuck with uh, Paul and I both ever since, which is great. We, we, we enjoyed it afterwards, and we enjoyed it to this day when people bring it up. How, how much involvement do you have in, in wrestling – at the moment, do you still do you still working um, on the on the pre-shows and commentary? Yeah, I did a pre-show. I did something with uh, one of their big stars, Keith Lee, this past 
pay-per-view just to kind of get somebody on air, you know, those older with, with Keith. Um, and I enjoyed it. Uh, great young guy. I'm just doing mainly the pay-per-views every single week now. And I'm sorry, every single month now. They were every week for two weeks in a row. <laughs> and, and I enjoy it. I, I don't come around that often, so I enjoy being back. It's, it's unbelievable what WWE has done with the Thunderdome. Yeah, it's that incredible. Cost them a fortune. I bet. Yeah, it's just <laughs> incredible. And seeing it in person, I, I wanted to see it. It's, it's really amazing. I, I, I love it. I think actually it's probably turned a corner uh since since the performance center era we'll call it uh i think actually the shows have got better because people the, the performance kids have, have got that arena atmosphere again yeah i don't know how these guys performed with no crowd I, I called wrestlemania i did the commentary and it was so tough because when you see something huge happen usually the crowd reacts for you know 10 15 seconds sometimes and you just lay out and let the crowd react but when there's no crowd you talk over it, and it feels so unnatural doing that. I can't imagine these guys in the ring competing. I, we call the ladder match. These guys all were killing themselves, falling, falling off these ladders and all this crazy stuff, and there was no crowd. So there was no reaction. It's just uh, kudos to those guys for what they did. Do you think it could make a, a better performer? I don't know. And I, don't, I think time will tell. I think it's a different type of performer because I think the match that I think Sammy uh, Zane had with Daniel Bryan, where they just talked to each other the whole time. Yeah. You never got to hear that before. I mean, at one point Sammy Zane was crying in the ring. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. I thought it was awesome. You never see that before because you rely so much on the crowd. So it's a different kind of performer and, and only your really good guys will be able to adapt to that as the really good guys can adapt to, to basically anything. I don't know how it does long-term. I think it'll probably make these guys better. Yes. Because the more you different ways you learn to get over, the easier it is to get over in a variety of ways going forward. Definitely. And, and I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll call this the final, final question, but if you were to give one close line from hell, one more time to a rugby player past present, who would you give it to? I think I gave one to was it Alex Good. I gave one to on the uh, game. I plan. think yeah, uh, I think I've seen that. Yeah, I think I've seen. Yeah, that. Alex told me. Alex told me he said, "Give me a clothesline." I love Alex. So a good guy. <laughs> and uh, he said, "Give me a, a clothesline." And I said, "Where are we going to land?" He goes, "It doesn't matter." I said, "Alex, I'm 50. It matters to me. It doesn't matter to you. You're young and you're going to be fine." <laughs> so I don't know. I you know I, I'm a big fan, and I there's certainly nobody that I just would love to clothesline. You know. I, I thought the whole Owen Farrell thing was, you know, good crazy, man. I mean, you know, you, you have a high tackle, guy gets penalized. Kind of like the U.S. Open right now. Yeah. You know, Djokovic yeah. hits this ball, and by mistake, it hits this uh, this poor woman. Uh, you know, it's just people overreact to stuff. And, you know, that was the whole thing with Owen Farrell. And I'm a big fan of Owen Farrell. I love when, they, when England got in that V against the All Blacks. He's back there with that sinister smile. Yeah. And that's awesome. <laughs> that is uh, yeah, it was uh, certainly a, an image that uh, England fans will never forget, that's for sure. Um, John, I just want to well, let, let's, let's wrap it up on that note because I think it's absolutely incredible. Would you just uh, tell the people how they can find out more about Bermuda and, and Memphis Inner City Rugby for me? Yep, uh, Memphis Inner City Rugby is uh, found. You can find it on Twitter. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on so many different places. Shane Young is the guy who runs that organization surrounded by a multitude of incredible people and I think to me I think it's probably the best uh, 
are one of the best, certainly one of the best, maybe the best charity in the world. Uh, Bubasi Pride, my good friend Gareth Noakes uh, is the CEO of now. They do wonderful work down in Malawi. They're expanding the game down in East Africa. And Bermuda is uh, Beyond Rugby, uh, is our program uh, there in Bermuda that, that is being run now by some pretty good people. I think we just lost the, the main guy, Patrick Callow, so hopefully they find somebody to replace him. And Follow the Action is the name of the show, as long as we're putting up billboards. Uh, <laughs> of follow course, the Action yeah. is is the one show that I'm working on right now. You can follow on our YouTube. That is a, a lot less importance than these wonderful charities that use rugby to change kids' lives. Well, sir, it's been an absolute honor. Um, thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd love to do this again one day. Um, it, it, next time you're in London, we'll go to a game at Twickenham. Uh, I would love to. I actually came over to, I came over to a game at Twickenham uh, when Wells played South Africa. Remember that incredible offload during the oh, World yeah. Cup? Yeah, yeah. So I go, with, I go with a Welshman, Gareth Noakes, and we fly all the way over there. And the whole game, where was Sereve, the great sevens yeah. player, was Sereve. So it's me, Gareth, and Sereve. And we go to this game, and the whole game. Oh, no. It's terrible because now we just got to go back to the hotel, which we did. We didn't even we didn't even go to the welcome zone, the fan zone. Gareth was so <laughs> mad that his team lost. He bought me a Welsh hoodie, and we went straight back to Bermuda. So I went all the way to Twickenham, <laughs> watched this great game. I didn't even get to go to the fan zone because Gareth was so mad his his team lost, which I understand completely. But that was it. So I went to Twickenham once and. Never went to the fan zone. Well, when, when you're when you're back in when you're back in London, this pandemic's over and there's games happening. Please come over. I'd, I'd love to take you for a beer in the Cabbage Patch. Uh, give you the full full treatment of Twickenham. Uh, I look forward to it. What a great what a great stadium to be in. A great home of rugby. It's uh, I look forward. I look forward to that. Fantastic, that, John Layfield. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Um, yeah, we'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks, John. Thanks once again to John Bradshaw Layfield for giving up his time to chat to me. And thanks again to our new partners, Rugby Store. And don't forget to get 10% off your new England rugby shirts by visiting rugbystore.co.uk and entering the promo code FYBPOD at the checkout. And if you want more information on Philly Boots, please visit fybrugby.com. My name is Sean Phelan, and you've been listening to the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable.